Welcome to the Startup Sunday podcast, where we speak with early stage entrepreneurs about their experiences building the companies of the future. I'm your host, Ben Haber, joined by my co-hosts, Cole Ruiz and Chris Cherbone, recording out of Modern Vice Studios, just a few blocks from Times Square. We sat down this week with Yair Teagle, one of the two founders of Sunboy. About a decade ago, Sunboy founders Luke McKenna and Yair Teagle started sourcing and importing fresh coconuts, which they used to make cocktails. What started as a whimsical idea to throw illegal coconut parties from tropical bike carts on the Brooklyn Bridge has grown into the world's first canned spiked coconut water. Sunboy's mission is simple, to spread joy with coconuts. After cracking open a few cans of Sunboy and some fresh coconuts from Thailand, we started at the beginning. I was born in Israel. Born yeah. in Israel, and two months old, you came over to the States? That's right, I was born in Jerusalem, two months old, I came into the US, uh, lived in Massachusetts for the first seven years, and then California for the rest of my life till I came to New York. Right on. What'd your parents do? My dad was a professor, international relations and politics uh, at Tufts, and then over at Stanford, and my mom ran schools. So I've been in education my whole life. Oh, very cool. You yeah. guys, what, what kind of schools did your mom run? Jewish schools, mostly private schools. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did that sort of spark a little entrepreneurship trait in you, do you think? I think that the thing that sparked that entrepreneurial trait was growing up in the Bay Area. Okay. I grew up from when I was a young teen till, till I finished school in the Bay Area, just surrounded by people building stuff. Like, everybody around me was building both physical stuff, being very creative, and also... Uh, starting tech companies. Every, every kid had an idea and they had the support of the community around them and it was very collaborative and fun. Um, and so that was quite inspirational for me. Um, and then I came over to New York to work uh, for a not-for-profit and we spent a lot of time fundraising from entrepreneurs that have had success. And so I was like, I really care about these things and the money often comes from people who are making cool things. Entrepreneurship kind of fell on me. I've always loved building stuff and I don't think I would have called myself an entrepreneur at first. It was mostly I was working about on things that I loved and cared about and on the side I was constantly building things, constantly doing, throwing parties or organizing fun uh, activities with my friends and building just whatever came around. Did you do well in school growing up? It's a great question. Uh, I loved college. I did not do that well in like a middle school, high school. In college, I got really into it when I had the freedom to kind of develop my own program and dive deep into the things that I cared about. I did super well. Um, in middle school, high school, I did not. The, the rigor of that did not suit me as well. I read somewhere that you were on the swim team at That's UC so Santa interesting. Cruz. Is that, yeah. is that true? I was on the diving team at okay. UC Santa Cruz. Man, you went deep. I was on the <laughs> diving team mostly because I love sitting in hot tubs. And, uh, it was, I don't know if any of y'all have been to Santa Cruz, but it's this beautiful, the it's pool gorgeous. is this yeah. beautiful pool overlooking this field where you can see the ocean in the distance right at the line of like the forest. And we had this magnificent little hot tub and so you'd sit and you'd do flips off the diving board for two hours a day and work out and so you got to be athletic, you got to exercise, hang out with wonderful people and sit in a tub. So it's pretty ideal. It was ideal. I, was, I, was living ideal. The dream. I feel like I'm living the dream now but I was really living the dream then. So let's talk about coconuts. Let's where talk did, about coconuts. Where did the passion come from? Okay, when did so that start? The origin story is me and my co-founder Luke 
Luke is this, I'm, I'm a relatively short Israeli guy. Luke is an extremely tall Australian guy. We were dating these two girls, they were best friends. It was Hurricane Sandy. We were in the basement, we had just met. We were in the basement of St. Maisie's in Williamsburg, if you all know it. It was a place called St. Charles Cellar back then. I have no idea what they call it now. Um, but the storm was happening around us and we were just shooting the shit about different business ideas we had had in the past or different things that we had done for fun on the side. And I was talking about how I set up a coconut stand once, just like bought coconuts from a store and set up a coconut stand in Prospect Park because I thought it was funny. Like I thought it was funny that in this hustle bustle city you could have a tropical, we are on an island after all, we are on a bunch of islands. And so in this hustle bustle city you can have this moment, this handheld vacation and connect with strangers over this like cumbersome weird fruit. And Luke looked at me like incredulously in shock and he was like, dude, I did the same thing in Kensington Market in Toronto. So he, when he moved from Australia to the US, spent a few months in Toronto before he got to New York and there he didn't know anybody and he was like, I'm gonna make friends by setting up a coconut stand. So we both had this really quite dumb idea and, and leaned into it and we were like, we should do it together here. And he was like, yes, we should. And that was kind of it for a little bit. And then one day I hit him up and I was like, let's build a tiki cart. Let's build a bike and put a bunch of coconuts in it and ride around and do exactly what we were doing stationary, but around town, uh, which was totally illegal, right? <laughs> but, uh, but we thought it was really fun. And we had a friend that played drums in Stomp. And so we got our friend who played drums in Stomp to meet us on the Brooklyn Bridge. And we came up with tiki torches ablaze, like the fire burning full of ice cold coconuts and a little secret bottle of booze. And we pulled up to the, the like Manhattan Tower of the Brooklyn Bridge, yeah. oh, that's cool. turned it around facing down and started cracking them open at first with a knife, but we upgraded to the Coco Jack after a yeah, little while. Um, but we cracked them open and we were just mixing little cocktails for people on the bridge and it was just a dance party. And the first thing, there was no money involved, it was just something we wanted to do. Um, and so we started doing that more frequently. We, did it, we both had jobs. He was a journalist, I was in tech. These were our day jobs, but at night or on the weekends, whenever it was nice, we would go out to the Brooklyn Bridge and throw these tiki parties. Um, and our friend, who we're in a shoe shop right now, but my friend who owns a shoe shop down in the, in the East Village asked me if we would pull up on a cart for his friend's birthday party in the shop. And so that was the first ever paid gig. We pulled up to the shoe shop and we cracked coconuts for them and their minds were blown. And we were like, oh, we should quit our jobs and do this full time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you never got busted on the bridge? Nobody we ever never, came no, to stop you? No, you know, like, we were, we never got busted. We were there for full days. At a certain point, we were doing it like every single day, all day. People appreciated the hydration. Like we weren't, we stopped doing the cocktails because that felt like we were crossing some sort of line. But you're walking across the bridge, it's a hot, 90 degree full humidity day and somebody's got a huge cart full of ice cold coconuts people were stoked yeah that's not yeah, bad yeah. that's not bad at all no yeah. you, you you'll sell me any day yeah. that's the situation so yeah. where where is the root though why like why coconuts that's what i'm so yeah. curious about so it's it is like as you dig into it it's like a little bit of a confusing timeline but this idea for the coconuts was born from us like loving the social connection of coconuts a few years later, totally coincidentally, we both spent time in India and Sri Lanka, separately, but we both spent time in, in India and Sri Lanka, and it really drove home that, that like social connection, the way that people stop in their lives and have a fresh coconut. They, this like 
you could be super busy, you could be working on whatever, but when you get a coconut in your hand, like, like right now you're drinking it, you, when you get a coconut in your hand, you just savor that experience and it transports you to the beach or to the last time you were on a, a vacation or your tropical home country. And that, especially in those countries, is super important. It's like, it's so much a part of the culture. And we just wanted to bring more relaxation to this hustle bustle. And it, and it kind of started right in like a social setting, right? I mean, you're throwing yeah. parties with people that yeah. was just kind of relaxed. And then you transitioned later into this kind of corporate partnership setting, right? That's right. So like, tra like tell me how you really got from point A to point B, because if it's some yeah. like enjoyable, like, like I, I wouldn't expect a synergy with, with other brands. Totally. It really worked. Yeah, so, so at first we were like, how do we put our logo on the coconuts, right? We're bringing these coconuts in and they come, they come in boxes, like we bring them in the boxes, but you can't, when you're drinking one, you can't really tell that they're our coconuts. And so we had this idea of burning our logo onto the coconut. So we did it. Put the Cocoa & Co. big like stamp on the side. I built this machine that the coconuts would roll over and it would burn the side. It was and, and it was, it was semi-automated. It took, it took some manual labor for a long time. Um, but then we did that and our first big clients were fashion brands. So we did the Miami Swim Week in Florida. And then as we did more fashion brands, we got more liquor brands. And we had big contracts with... Um, Captain Morgan, so we traveled around the country with Captain Morgan, we did Coachella a few years, we did Governor's Ball for all, like all the years we existed, um, tons of music festivals in Miami and LA, and all on behalf of these other big brands that wanted the stickiness of photographs at a music festival that would actually be shareable. Instead of like a step and repeat or just their logos up on a bar, now people are walking around drinking a very like cute fruit that has Captain Morgan on the side, or Bacardi on the side, or Ciroc, uh, and that was the transition. And the second we did that, we were like, oh, we have a business on our hands. Like, there's something real here. Yeah, I right. will say it's the most logistically challenging and cumbersome business that you could choose is like a perishable fruit, a perishable fruit with a short shelf life that needs very precise refrigeration that also requires a huge staff of people to open it up and mix a cocktail yeah. is challenging. Especially like for a music festival, right? You probably need thousands of those. Yeah, you're coming in with 20,000 coconuts for like Kaboo in, in San Diego and you have, I have a staff of 25 people and you're doing like five, seven hundred, a thousand coconuts a day. Yeah, it's a lot. It's tough on the forearms. It's tough on the forearms. You get, I, I still have like calluses from cracking coconuts. How much does 20,000 coconuts weigh? It's like, a container. Yeah, that's yeah, It's outrageous. a full refrigerated container. Where, where did you end up getting all these coconuts from? What was the so, process to source them? That's a great question. So the original dream was Sri Lanka. When we spent time in Sri Lanka, we actually um, met a bunch of growers there that we really loved and the coconuts in Sri Lanka are insane. They're these king coconuts. They're orange, they're not like green like we're used to, and they're, some of them are grow on these shorter palms, they're easy to cultivate. They all get consumed in Sri Lanka. They're like good drinking coconuts. There's huge culture and huge amount of consumption of the coconuts there, and there isn't um, a direct like shipping channel for those coconuts from Sri Lanka for a bunch of reasons. But there is a very good supply in Thailand and already a steady stream of coconuts going out. A ton of them going to China, but also quite a few coming to the US. And there's kind of an already built structure for how to export them. And so we actually, when we started, we were just going through these multinational broker companies that would help us broker deals with growers that we would then 
load them up and it would come into the port and they would help us with all of the stuff that you just don't know when you start. So Coco and Co starts yeah. in 2015, right yeah, around I mean, there? Like 2014 okay. was when we started doing it, but 2015 is when we incorporated it as an LLC. Okay. Yeah. And then you get up to 2019, 2020, That's right? right? COVID shuts everything down. Mm -hmm. There's no more large events. Was Sunboy something you were always considering doing? Was there always like a, let's go, like, let's can what we're doing here at these parties and, and make it like a, you know, distributable thing? Or is this, was that born because of COVID specifically? I think if there were no COVID, we would still be a full-on brand of coconut company. Um, and so COVID, like it did for a lot of people, gave the, the room, the breathing room to reassess. We always wanted to do other things. And we were doing other things on the side. We had a coconut butter line that we launched called Coconut Stuff, which was like super delicious flavored like coconut butters that you could just spread a coconut. Um, that was really fun, but never really took off. And we realized like what people really want is coconut water based beverages. And so we spent a year and a half with our food scientist in the lab, like taking all of our learnings from mixing coconut water and booze and different juices at different ratios and, and adding like sparkling water, like trying to, trying to play with it, making it the drink that, that is now Sunboy. Um, but no, I don't think we would have done it if it were not for COVID. And it, that transition brought out a product that we're really proud of. So yeah. Andre Aryapetov, is that his yeah. name? Andre Arapatov. Arapatov, okay. Yeah. World-renowned food scientist. Yep. How did that connection happen? What was it like working with him? Andre's a genius. Uh, really incredible and he has tons of products under his belt he and i totally coincidentally went to middle school and high school together okay. and wow. i did we had not stayed in touch like we we went to school in california grew up in palo alto as well um and when we wanted to launch the coconut butter that product that i was telling you all about we got connected through the matcha guys if you know the matcha there was a matcha company I in do. new york back in the day yeah so they were like oh you got to talk to our food scientist he's he's a genius and they introduced me to a guy named Andre. And in my mind, when I thought of Andre, when I heard the name Andre, especially from the matcha guys, I imagined like a long-haired surfer guy, like <laughs> Andre. Sure. And, uh, and so I called him up and he's like, is this your ear from Gun High School? I was like, oh wow. yeah, Andre. Wow, <laughs> this Andre. Small world. A huge coincidence. It was awesome. And, and obviously we were still buddies and he's like, yeah, I'd love to help you. And so he came on as our like essentially in-house food scientist and has worked with us on every project since then, and is just so good at taking the flavors, taking our conversations about flavors, and turning it into commercially viable, scalable products. Yeah, without him, there would be no product. Like, we knew what we wanted, we knew, we knew what ingredients we wanted, and we knew what, it wanted, what we wanted it to taste like in the end, and he was so good about helping us make sure we weren't losing anything in the process, right? There's a lot that goes into canning something that needs to sit on a shelf for 365 days, up to 365 days, and he knew how to assess that, both how to formulate it, but also how to produce it, which is awesome. How many flavors did you run through in the testing process? What was that process like? How many the, versions, I guess? Yeah, so we had, at one point, we were talking about 14 different flavors. Wow. wow. Uh, and each one had probably like six or seven different variations. So the ones we ended up on is, they're all coconut water based, uh, 
and they all have a fruit juice. So in addition to the coconut water, a lot of coconut water and a little bit of fruit juice, passion fruit, pineapple, tangerine. But each one of those, once we decided, there's also mango, those are the first four flavors that we have in the, in the, in the lineup. Each of those four flavors, we probably went through like six to seven iterations where we would be like, we would have tastings with a bunch of different, like more bubbles, less bubbles, more coconut water, less juice, increase the booze, decrease the booze, um, lime, no lime, like all of this, all of these different juice concoctions. And we would talk about something that my friend, my friend coined this term or he in grad school learned this term, I'm not sure, uh, but just noticeable difference. So we would talk in JNDs. So we'd be like, <laughs> we want just a noticeable difference increase in sweetness. So we want like increase the juice by that much and like decrease the, boo the booze by two JNDs. That's Because we didn't know how else to talk about it, right? Yeah. We didn't know how to say like, make it less sweet. Like, what does that mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, so there's no sugar in it at all, but the sweetness comes from the, the coconut water and the juice, yeah. Um, just a question about like how you guys narrowed it down to the amount of flavors you have now. Yeah. I know that like a lot of products can cannibalize each other. Like, who kind of spearheaded that process of bringing it down from like 14 with seven variations? It's like 98 yeah. different. Yeah, so yeah. much, yeah. It was, it was me and Luke. Like that was the, it was me and Luke, and then we would bring, we would, just like this, like sitting around, we would bring a group of, I don't know, 10 people into a room and we would pour everybody tiny samples because we just didn't have, we were making it on a bench top. Um, we'd pour tiny samples and we would say, which ones do you love, which one, tell me like all your thoughts and then we would aggregate that feedback. And if they were too similar, you would just chop, chop one of them? Yeah, there, it's funny, there weren't actually fruits that were too similar. There were fruits that were too radical like okay. we really <laughs> too, exotic. too exotic. Maybe no market share. Yeah, and we really wanted. I mean, passion fruit. Luke is an Australian guy. Really wanted passion fruit. Yeah. It was like it's it is the fruit of his youth. Crocky, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and pineapple and coconut are just a no brainer, right? Everybody thinks so. And then we wanted a citrus one, and so we went with the tangerine juice. Um, we really like. There's a bunch of other very good ones. Mango wasn't produced at first because, like in the first round, because the cogs are slightly more. The mango juice that we use is just slightly more expensive. And so we were like, let's get our foot in the door before we have like, tighten our margins slightly. Um, but we've got prickly pear on the way, which is amazing. Uh, but also a, a fruit juice that like most people aren't familiar with. So we'll see, we've got cherry coming out. We're working on, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of other nice I got to say, yeah, I'm so happy that it's real juice. Thanks. There's so yeah. many seltzers that are fruit flavored and they're horrible. Yeah. Like the real juice really makes a Thank appreciable you. difference. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a four pack of Sunboy, there's a coconut and a half worth of coconut water. That's a lot of juice. Like yeah. that's, yeah, you're getting the coconuts one way or the other. Yeah. Dude, I'm excited about mango. Yeah. <laughs> That's coming your way. It's coming I'm your excited way. for that. <laughs> I will say, like, talking about, about entrepreneurial decisions that we've made, it's really hard for me not to come out with mango. But we're trying, you know, our, our distributor always says, like, run fast, but don't stumble. And, uh, and he, he strongly suggested, and I think he's super right, that we got to get our, these three flavors, the ones that already hit into everybody's hands before we introduce another one. We're not going to gain much other than a headache by introducing 
sure. a fourth and a fifth and the variety packs and all that stuff, like we're still essentially, even though we've had so much success in this last year, we're still essentially an unknown entity. And so in the we, grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme yeah. of things, even in New York City, like there's still millions of people who've never tried it. And so we gotta we gotta solve that sure. first. Before you answer that, for sure. One of the things I love about the brand is is the branding itself, like the marketing that you guys have, the colors, everything's like bright, summer vibes that come from the Brooklyn Bridge block parties and stuff. Like where, yeah. what, what went into that, those decisions? So, I mean, it's funny, the first poster that we had, first inspirational poster, like when we were building out our Pinterest board or whatever, the, the mood board, was Endless Summer. And so we really, we, we wanted something that was timeless. We wanted something that was like, um, spoke to that vintage feel and the bright colors, but also that it felt like of today. I mean, of 2021, 2022, when we were designing it. Um, our graphic designer, the guy who made it, is this guy, Nate Tate, the great Nate Tate. The guy's, <laughs> the guy's amazing. He's also the guy who's been with us from day one. He designed the Coco and Co logo. Uh, everything we ever did, he helped us with. He like he's been the creative mind behind it. Um, I feel extremely lucky to have him behind us. In addition, like just like Andre, he's just you just trust him. He he comes to us with these beautiful designs, and it's like okay, it's done. Like he did it. Yeah. And so we do get we get a ton of compliments about our design, and it's all Nate's. So there's really some trust there between you and the creative team. There's a lot of trust in the team. And I think that, like, first of all, I would never start a business without people that I trust and love and respect. Second of all, like, dude, I'm, I feel like the luckiest person on the planet to have, to be surrounded by such great, like, minds, such great skills, so. Yeah. I gotta ask, how'd you land on Sunboy? The name? Yeah, how'd you pick the name? Okay, there's, there's like, the, the short answer and the longer answer. The short answer is when we were making cocktails back in the day, um, in the coconuts themselves, oh. one of the co cocktails we made was the co the coconut sunboy. Oh, nice. And okay. It was, it was it was that. It was like a very simple coconut boozy, juicy drink. Straight up. Just because we were always making up like funny names for the drink, um, yeah. and so that was like that's the simple short story. Mm -hmm. The reality is, and since we're talking about entrepreneurship, um, the reality is that we had a pretty strict rubric for what the name had to be. It had to evoke summer vibes like the uh, like coconuts, palm trees, it had to feel that. So it had to be, all of the IP had to be available. So I wanted to be able to buy the website, the do I wanted to own the domains on all of the, all the, the handles on, on all the social media sites. And I wanted, um, it needed to work in the sentence, like, hey, pass me a blank, or let me get a six pack of blank. Or, and so we went through so many names. <laughs> uh, and what are a couple? Well, the closest one to Sunboy is we almost went with Sunroof. 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 Okay. Yeah. Like Sunroof. Sunroof. And, and then somebody was like, but the connotation with drinking and driving is bad. And they were like, that's, oh, that's yeah. good point. Very, Very good, good point. point. Very I, didn't good even, point. I didn't even think about that. I didn't that would have backfired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, what's funny about that is that the word in Spanish for a sunroof is quemococo. Which means oh, burns that's... burns the coconut because it's like if you <laughs> wow so no way and you're bald so, yeah, <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was almost perfect it's that almost yeah chemicalco would be so good but yeah. uh, we ended up going with Sunboy and I I love it I think it's super easy and it's super catchy Let, let's talk about the seasonality of of the product sure. uh, I know we were talking about this a little bit earlier like do you think like how did you come to decide that it was you know 
you were going to target that that summer and warm climate, especially with you guys being HQ'd in New York. Yeah. Uh, like, what, what was kind of your strategy with that in terms of branding? I mean, I mean, the the truth is, we are summer people. Like me and everybody in my life, we're outdoor people. We love, actually, even when it's freezing, we're outside and pretending like it's summer. So it was never really, we never gave much consideration to designing a drink or to making drinks that were not true to who we are, which is, which is that, right? This, this summer, the outside, the fun, the adventure, um, the parties, the inclusivity, the rooftops, like all of that stuff that summer represents. And we are New Yorkers, like we've been here, I've been here 15 years. Like I feel like it's, it's as much home as, and it is more home than actually any other place I've ever lived. Um, and so launching in New York was an, a question, and seasonality is real. Like there's, there's no doubt about it. Dry January is brutal for a liquor brand or for a boozy brand. Um, people drink less in the winter. There are other brands in the space that are much, much bigger than ours that do 90% of their revenue from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And, and so that's just the way it is. Like that's yeah. the, the yeah. way that it's the, the way that, yeah. But to that end, first of all, we have, if you take away the branding, if you take away the like, the image, if you take away the name, you just think of the liquid itself, it's, it's a good drink and it's a good drink year round and it does feel, when you look at the branding and the, and the name and the, the whole ethos, it is trans, transportive, like you drink it and you feel like you're on vacation, you feel like you're in the summer. And as our response to the seasonality in New York, we're expanding in the southeast, so we're expanding in Florida and Georgia. We actually just launched in Georgia last week. Congratulations. Which is, that's awesome. Thank you so much. It was the most fun week I've had in a long time. <laughs> oh, that's like, awesome. Like leaving the cold of New York <laughs> oh, to go down to Georgia. And Georgia just, clay. Yeah. yeah, oh man, it was amazing. And, and uh, we cracked open the Sun Boys at this club and I was pouring samples for everyone and we sold out in 20 minutes. Wow. And the, the, like, the way they took, I mean, it's funny because passion fruit is our best flavor, best selling flavor in New York. But pineapple, which is, has a little bit more sweetness because of the pineapple juice, crushed in the <laughs> South. And I just feel like there's that little bit of sweet tooth. Like you still know it's real fruit juice. There's bit. no added sugar, but it's still like that little sweetness. Yeah. So we're going to deal with seasonality by going to warm places. Well, that's <laughs> that's yeah, how we go, but there's yeah. no seasons. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's yeah. another like, bonus, I will say, of starting your own business. I don't recommend starting a business to anybody. I think that like, <laughs> I, I think I think you should ask yourself like six times before you start a business. You'd be like, Are, am I sure that I want to do this thing? But if you're gonna do it, do one that allows you to continue to do the things you love and traveling and being meeting new people and being in beautiful places is so important to me, to us as a team, that uh, I feel so lucky that I get to go to places like Thailand and Georgia and Florida, yeah, and hang out with just incredible like people who are doing amazing things. Awesome. Talking a little bit about distribution. Yeah. I don't think, I certainly didn't know this before I started researching for this, but what is like the traditional relationship between an alcohol brand and a storefront? How does that normally yeah. work? And then I know you guys do something a little bit different, so I definitely want to get into that. Yeah. So the U.S. is the only country in the world where this is the case. Every other place you make a product, regardless of whether it's alcohol or not, and you can sell it in, in one of multitude ways to a store or, to, or directly to consumers. In the US, because of prohibition, because we have like a tricky history with, with yeah. alcohol and teetotalers and all of that, um, after prohibition, they really wanted to prevent like mafia-run booze. And so they split the three different components of alcohol 
uh, into three different houses. There's the supplier, the manufacturer, that's us, the people who make the drink. That's one house. Second house is the people who move the drink around, the distributors. And the third house is the people who can sell it to consumers, the retailers. No one can own more than one. No one can be involved in more than one at all. By so it's law. like antitrust. Exactly. Because they didn't want what would have happened is they didn't want a company like Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser, to have Anheuser-Busch as the manufacturer, the distributor, and the bars. So you'd walk into every bar and it would be an Anheuser-Busch bar and they would sell no other products, yeah. which would be not good for brands like us. Like when you want a Coke and yes. the server only tells you, hey, we only have Pepsi. Exactly. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> so what ended up happening is you have these multi-generational companies that are distributors in every single territory in the U.S. And they're, they're like, my great-great-grandfather was a distributor, I'm a distributor, and my son will be a distributor, my daughter will be a distributor. And these are the companies that control which brands get to launch in a certain place, but they do the hard work of building long-term relationships and actually delivering the product. So it's something that like, there's a tension to it because I would love to be able to just walk into a store and be like, here's our product, buy it. Sure. Uh, but I also would hate to drive around in a truck all day <laughs> and have to drop product off like we did with the fresh coconuts. Like I'm so glad to have moved out of the logistical <laughs> yeah. space of moving big products. Um, and so we work with actually one of the best distributors in... Tap uh, say, No, so we're, we're with uh, Union Beer. We actually just moved over. Oh, you moved over? We just, yeah, we just, uh, we just signed a couple weeks ago with Union Beer Distributors awesome. in New York, which is like, it's huge for us. Um, because they've been around 125 years. They have connections with every single bar, every single supermarket, every deli, every bodega in the city and everybody loves working with them. And so we get to come and hand in hand introduce our drink to these retailers, um, which is great. Tap Room uh, that you mentioned was our previous distributor and their focus is actually quite a bit different. They're essentially a retailer that can sell online. And so we still sure. use Tap Room to sell online and that's a great service that they've created and it's, it is quite a new concept because selling booze online is really hard because of the different territories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. like the direct-to-consumer path. That's the direct-to-consumer path. So we actually, it looks like it's on our website when you buy it, but you're buying it from Tap. From Tap. From, from okay. yeah, through the skin of our website. Sure. Yeah. And in terms of like the distribution process with, with your new partnership, which congratulations. Thank you that. so I'm much. Sure that's yeah. huge for you guys. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, like how does that work out financially? So they partner you with certain retailers and then do you guys pay like, uh, I know like there's end cap displays where you can like put it in like a, a certain spot in a retail store. There's no, that, that is the case for every other product except for alcohol. Interesting. In alcohol, okay. there's no, they're very rigorous about it and there's no money that changes hands in that wow. way. So they just put your product in the Un store. Yeah. So Union distribution. Yeah, so they buy the product from us, they own it. So like we, we make it, they buy it from us, they own it, we ha can't touch it. Like it doesn't, it, does, it doesn't exist to us anymore. Then they sell it to the store the store buys it from them, the store owns it. They have nothing to, t to do with it, and then they sell it to consumers, the retailers. That sounds so, so much more clean. Than it sounds much more clean. It's messy anyways. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Still a mess. Gotcha. Yeah, it's funny, it's funny how little like, I knew as a consumer before about alcohol and the way that it was going, and it's also funny, like, it's something that is in our everyday, but we don't, we don't often see the machinations of how it gets placed and why you see certain drinks in certain places. And once you get into it, it's, it's, it's an amazing web of old relationships and 
Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's a lot of networking, trying to figure out how to get your product up front in yeah. front of the other guys. You've got to get people excited about what you're doing. And that's, that's a lot about like making sure they try it liquid to lips, like getting people to actually try the liquid, getting them excited about it and seeing the occasions that they would pitch it at. So getting, getting bars to understand like, hey, this is for your rooftop. This is like perfect for a long summer's day. You want them to believe in it too. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, speaking to that point of like, we, we want everybody to be involved and, and to be loyal to the brand. Uh, like I, I was doing some research on consumer behavior for alcohol brands and that a lot of people are switching uh, mm -hmm. from brand to brand lately post COVID. Like how does your brand plan to like, gain that customer loyalty and, re and retain it? It's a good question. I mean, one thing that we've been lucky to have from the beginning is a compelling story and also like a community around us that like loves the drinks, loves the coconuts and is excited to, to kind of celebrate with us. We're gonna lean kind of hard on the people we already know, right? So we have a great team in the city. We're building a great team in Georgia and Florida as well as we launch out. And it's, again, it's about, it's funny that we're trying to build this national brand, but it still all boils down to one-to-one -to -one relationships. People have to be excited about People don't buy from brands anymore, we buy from people. Like you get to know the people involved and you get excited about them and you want to see people succeed. And so that is part of our plan, right? It's, it's that I wanna connect with the people that, that like the drink and, and grow it that way. We're also getting involved with lots of communities that we wanna support. And so it's a big part of our ethos, which is like there's, there are social movements that are important to us and we can give back by making sure that when they're doing fundraisers, we're the drink that they're serving and we can support them in that way. What are your future goals for Sunboy? What gets you excited about the brand? Oh man, my future goal like right, right now is to have an epic summer in New York. Uh, it's gonna be so, so good. I just feel it like having this, this new distribution is huge for us. And we're just talking about all of the festivals that we're gonna be part of this summer here in the city. Um, can't announce any of them yet. Okay. I was done. about to ask. Yeah. I was about to ask. I'm, I'm so excited. It's gonna be great. I'm excited for um, you. Yeah, That's and awesome. then and then there are so many like there are so many parties that we are planning on throwing ourselves as well, which is it's gonna be really, really cool. But the future goal is I wanna build out the line. I wanna have like it'd be really cool to have variety packs. It'd be really cool. We wanna do this Sunboy SPF ninety, which cool. is gonna be a, a ninety calorie version of it, which is okay, gonna be really nice. fun. And then I wanna do a high alk version of it too. Of course. Um, but like ultimately I just want to have this brand that is that represents fun and can do great social things with it. Both like socially motivated um, impact stuff uh, and also just like have a great lifestyle. Sure. Yeah. For everybody sure. And I guess just a general kind of question about entrepreneurship. Like what would you say to somebody trying to start a company facing these, I'm sure it's long hours, trying to question are they really passionate about this? Like yeah. at that critical point, what I, advice would you give? I would say oh, a bunch of stuff. The first, find a community. Like you'll be surprised by how the people who you think are your competitors are actually your collaborators. They don't, they want you to succeed. Like they really do. And maybe it's just CPG, maybe it's just consumer packaged goods and, and the beverage industry that we're in, but like, People that I share a shelf with or even fight for shelf space with, like I will go and have a drink with and we'll, we'll like learn from each other every day. Like I had drinks with, with like somebody we share a shelf with at almost all the stores last night and they were so supportive and we're so supportive of them. So I would say find a community and find it early and fast. 
that's one thing. The other thing I would say is I would never, for me personally, I would never start a business alone. I would always have a partner and they should be complimentary. Like it should be very a very thoughtful process. I was lucky to fall into partnership with people that I, I think are great and do totally different things. Um, but like you can be strategic about it too. It doesn't need to be luck. Like you can seek out people that finish your skill set because nobody can do it all. Nobody should do it all. You won't be able to do it all. There are people out there who can do exactly what you suck at. And so <laughs> find those people and and like trust them to do it. Don't try to control it and question whether you really want to do it. A paycheck from someone else is really relaxing. As much as you want to run your own thing, like question whether you really want to take it on because the, the income will be dependent on you. And once you decide you want to do it, do it. Like I, I support you and hit me up and I'm happy to, <laughs> to, to give guidance and to be supportive, but really question it. Like make sure that it's something you want to do. It, entrepreneurship is not an easy path. It's very rewarding. I really love it. I'm living the dream, genuinely. But, uh, but you question it before you do it. Ask yourself at least three times cool. whether you want to do it. Great advice to end with, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Thanks, y'all. This was so fun. It was, it was great having you. I appreciate you coming on. Of course. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. cheers. <laughs>